everybody. Welcome to the Pause Podcast. I'm Lindsay here with Mari. And Hello. we are on day 19 of our 30-day, um, I never know, uh, trip, journey. <laughs> <laughs> I never know the right glance um, at the book of Mark. Um, so just a reminder of who we are and what we do and what we believe in. Um, we want you to carve out space every day to pay attention um, to your soul. And so we pray that you're doing that during this season, especially. Um, okay. So day 19, we are going to focus on Mark 11, um, verses 15 through 19. Um, so Mari mentioned this yesterday in, um, episode 18, um, we're going to dive in and look a little more closely at Jesus flipping some tables in the temple. So, yes. um, okay. Mari, do you mind reading those verses for us? No, not at all. So this is verse 15 and they mm -hmm. came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it into a den of robbers." And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Thank you. Okay, I, I picture Jesus here as the the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> like Jesus goes, like, turn screen, rips his clothes. <laughs> That's like what I picture here. Um, I actually kind of love that. I know. Um, I'm okay. into that. Let me give some background, some context, some detail about what we're dealing with here. Okay. Okay. So Jesus is in the temple, um, enters the temple. So the temple here consists of four major divisions or four major parts. There's the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, <laughs> the court of Israel, and the Holy of Holies. Um, and these courts were named for who was allowed to enter into each area. So mm. if you're a Gentile, you can only go to the court of Gentiles, women, Israel, which Jewish people, and then Holy of Holies was obviously just for people who are allowed in the Holy of Holies, which is like the priest. So the temple was massive, massive. Um, I always think it's important not to like put our own image or understanding of like a church building. You know what I mean? Like this was massive and elaborate. Um, when the, you say massive, mm -hmm. as someone who has in person constructed a tabernacle <laughs> with so that level of expertise that you, that you proudly hold. Um, yes. How much bigger are we talking to um, the temple? Oh, I don't know the exact measurements of a tabernacle. Look, I know you gave me a lot of credit there. <laughs> I really set you up. Um, the size of a basketball court. <laughs> That's where for we made it. For the temple or for the tabernacle? Oh, for I the, just meant my own tabernacle. For the tabernacle. <laughs> but then the temple, this is the temple in Jerusalem. Yes. So, well, I'll just say the court of the Gentiles, what we're talking about where Jesus was, was about 35 acres. <laughs> Whoa. Which is huge. Right? Wait, seriously? Yes. Not nuts in indoors. Yes. Well, there were massive. There were like a lot of columns and wood carvings, and people used it as like entryway. In thirty-five and acres. acres. I'll post like. Well, let's put in the show notes a picture of it. Um, My entire home sits on not even half an acre. <laughs> thirty-five. <laughs> I know. Isn't that crazy? Okay, good. So I want us to get this idea. Yeah, it's not I can't just picture like, this. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's massive and it's elaborate. Yeah. So this is the only place available for the Gentiles to worship. And okay. there's a lot of sacrificing and trading and business that's going down that went down in the outer courts. Um, so merchants sold animals for sacrifice and exchanged foreign currencies. Um, so it's like a virtual, it's like a stock market. And so they had to pay a yearly temple tax, which who did? Like I'm every sure Jesus person? loved. Yes, anybody who was going to worship. And so they had merchants there who were exchanging foreign currency. You couldn't pay. Um, you couldn't pay with Jewish coins. You had to change them to Roman coins. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah. Vice versa. Um, there and was, I'm sure there was a fee involved. Yep, there was interest rate. So they jacked sure. the prices up. Um, and so there's a quote that says. Um, the temple precincts were overseen by the Sadducees, which is a group of people, um, and the immense volume of trade and exchange in the court of the Gentiles were crucial not only for the maintenance of proper worship, but dun, 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 for the financial gain of the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, which the Sanhedrin is a word they are the chief priests and teachers of the law. So they're profiting. So uh, people are profiting. Which they weren't supposed to, right? Like right. as far as like right. when Moses lays out like... The Levitical, like the order for that. Yes. Like everyone is supposed to give, if I remember right, all the other tribes are supposed to support the Levites Mm -hmm. because they won't make money. Like they're supposed to give them food and shelter because like basically their lives are dedicated Mm -hmm. to the care of the tabernacle and like mm-hmm. obviously things evolve mm-hmm. from Moses's time, but like this is corruption is what we're saying. Yes. They weren't supposed to be profitable. Yes. Or like the way God intended it right. was not for them to make a profit. Right. Or to charge people to come to the temple um, and to like have an interest rate and a tax. Like that just feels so hard to like, that is just, just straight corruption, you know? Yeah. Um, and then they used the temple as a thoroughfare. And so um, Jesus, in verse 16, he's like, we would not, not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And so they were using it as like a passageway, if that makes sense. So people were carrying things in and out versus oh, like, like a cut through. Cut through. Yes, yes, yes. That's good. Um, okay. So people are profiting from activity that's going down in the temple. Um, and this is the place that the only place that the Gentiles can worship. So Jesus quotes the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, which he often did, to talk about the temple defilement. And so he says this, he said, is it, he says, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? So the two prophets that he's quoting here are Isaiah, which is Isaiah 56, 7, and then Jeremiah 7, 11. Um, both of these guys use these phrases to describe the temple as a place for all nations. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes Gentiles, um, people who weren't Jewish. Um, so he's saying salvation and access are for all who proclaim Jesus as the Messiah um, for all nations versus these thieves and people who were trying to, to rob other people um, or take advantage of other people. Well, yeah, because so like... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just thinking, like, I'm still hung up on, like, Moses' law, because that's the one that we most recently studied in Exodus. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like we had to do some deep diving there. And, like, there was a lot of provisions, if I remember, for foreigners and for sojourners that, like, 
Yeah. They were supposed to be hospitable and welcoming to people yes. from other nations. Yes. And obviously, if these people from other nations are staying with you as the people of Israel, they're going to be welcomed into your place of worship. That, mm-hmm. like, that was sort of a mandate for them, that mm-hmm. they were supposed to treat them with such deep respect and care and hospitality. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, that's good. So I'm starting to understand why his uh, anger was bubbling. Yeah. yeah. It's like a place of welcome for all people. And yeah. and he's over he's like overturning a system too. You know, he's like the sacrificial system. Um, he's like this no longer means salvation. You know what I mean? Like you have Which in and of itself is so revolutionary. So revolutionary, yes. Um Okay, which this is I love this. So he, I said one of the quotes that I read in the commentary said, Jesus is not clearing the temple of Gentiles, he's clearing it for them, which, yes. yes. <laughs> so it's not like he's like, Gentiles, you're doing this, get out. He's like, you guys are actually hindering the Gentiles from worship. You're pro- prohibiting yeah. them from from ex- accessing me. Um, and he's Ooh, speaking yeah. against the religious authorities who are profiting in this situation, and they're using the temple to do it, <laughs> which is like... It's rem- yeah. Oh, go ahead. This is getting to me. It's reminding me of the conversation we had like quite a few episodes yeah. ago when we were talking about the men, the paralytic being lowered through the roof and yes. how there was people getting in the way that mm-hmm. this man needed to get to Jesus and there was people in the way. Yes. Yep. Um, the crowd was in the way, mm-hmm. hindering them from getting to Jesus and mm-hmm. like how that's such a big deal. And like yep. we got all riled up talking about like what yeah. if the crowd is the church? Mm-hmm. Like what if we're at fault? Like mm-hmm. and yep. in this situation, like we the are. crowd is clearly the yep. church. Like it's obviously yep. the people of yep. God. And yep. that's why he's like riled mm-hmm. up. Is yep. He's like, these people need to get, they need to worship and they can't even get to me. Yep. Like you guys are in the way. Yep. Yes, yes. You're making them jump through all these hoops. It's yes, stupid. Yes, and, and he, corrupt. Yeah. And he's like, the temple. Yes, the temple is meant to be a player, a place of prayer for all nations. And this like mm-hmm. commercialization is not what this place was intended for, um, or yeah. the court of the Gentiles was intended for. And that's not even what the sacrificial system was intended for right. either. Exactly. Like they corrupted yes. that. Sure. Yep. Yeah, sure, that's irrelevant now, and that's part of his sure, point. Sure, <laughs> He's sure. like, well, we're not doing this anymore, but even if we were, you guys screwed it up, and somehow you have to, like, buy a dove because mm-hmm. the one that you would have brought as a Gentile isn't the right kind of dove yep. or whatever. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. Okay. I'm into this. Okay, so I want to talk specifically for a minute about Jesus's, like, actual act of clearing the temple, like the actual okay. overturning... Um, and of the tables and the actual like clearing people out. Mm-hmm. And as an anger gal, <laughs> I've always. An anger. <laughs> <laughs> you said that so nonchalantly. I've never gone as an anger that. gal. I've always found this story pretty fascinating <laughs> because I think we've seen, or at least like my understanding of Jesus, and maybe I've made him in my image here, but we've seen such a reserve from Jesus up to this point yeah. that I've always admired and not a weakness, but like. Um, he possesses a patience, a kindness, mm, yeah. a humility that I always want to emulate. But this righteous anger, he he like means business here. He like oh, yeah. literally overturns tables and he cleanses the temple. And this really got to Jesus. Yeah. And so I don't know if I got the answers I was looking for when I was re- researching this because it feels out of character 
of Jesus. And I understand why he overturned the temple. Like, I understand it. Like, it was a big deal. It was not okay. And he was, like, obviously fed up and annoyed. But in other cases, we've seen Jesus be like, guys, you know, in my kingdom, like, like give, like, a parable or, like, speak kind yeah. of gently to them. But we don't ever see, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, like, do we ever see Jesus, like, overturn something violently in this way? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I just was, like, so curious about why um, he responded the way that he did. I know why it was a big deal, you know what I mean? But usually Jesus is like, oh, guys, like, how long do I have to deal with you? But this he's <laughs> like, he literally physically turns over tables, which... I'm like, I do. I threw a shoe one time when I was growing up and like knocked a window out of my sister's room. Spoiler alert. You, you know, did? it's like, <laughs> why were you so angry? Probably something dumb. I used, I have anger issues. <laughs> I've managed <laughs> I'm gonna them ask now. Gertie. Yeah, ask Gertie. I'm going to ask your sister. Um, but anyway, I think that was something I've like kind of wrestled with as I read this story. And I think it means Jesus was really serious. Do you know? Yeah. Do you like, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Um, I thought of two things. Okay. First, I thought of Spider-Man. Um, Obviously. When, <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect when, you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Peter Parker's uncle, is it his uncle? Uh, uncle Ben. Oh, yeah, duh. Um, he's talking to him and he says, with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, obviously. So I think one of, maybe one of the reasons Jesus was so mad is like, the Sanhedrin, mm-hmm. the priests, mm-hmm. um, they're literally their only job was to help yeah. people worship. Right. They have this great power in Israel. Yeah. And they've risen to this sort of like bizarre conflation mm-hmm. of religious power and political power, just the way that Jerusalem was set up. Mm-hmm. They had this great power, and it could have been a really, really beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Like yeah, we talked about totally. earlier about power and how it can be really beautiful when it's mm-hmm. paired with care and compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like he was lecturing them in maybe two chapters ago when we were talking about when he's like, not so with you. Right, right. He's trying to tell his disciples this, and then here's like, here's the the chief priests that mm-hmm. like it was literally like their only job. His disciples, he's like teaching them. He's like, oh, well, you guys are just <laughs> sure, like sure. some dumb fishermen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're figuring it out. But these people, their whole lives have been training for this. Mm-hmm. And somehow they still have massively screwed it up. And instead of doing their one job was just to welcome people into worship, they're actively keeping them out. Right, right. So I can see how that would p- piss them but off. why do you think his anger manifested itself in this way? Because I'm sure Jesus felt anger before, you know? I think that's But I like, don't think he did. I think he felt compassion. Like you see okay, in all these other sure, times sure. when people got it wrong, he's like, oh, like Poor, yeah. you guys really don't understand this. Yeah, yeah. But then here's this this people, yeah. the, the priests that like for generations, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. going back to Moses, that's been their job. That's been their identity. And the fact that they ha- would have corrupted it so much. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I think good. he's yeah. like, this is your responsibility. These yes. fishermen over here and this crowd that's been following me all over the countryside, who's like curious about what I'm doing and sometimes like kind mm-hmm. of rowdy and annoying. Like they don't know any better, but you know better. Mm-hmm. You've spent your whole life reading scripture. That Like that's your only job is to read, read scrolls mm-hmm. and like keep yeah. the temple. 
you know better. Yeah. And so I think that that's it. And like, that's a pretty consistent theme in the Bible that, sure. yep. you know, pow- power and responsibility go hand in hand, mm-hmm. that like they're the gatekeepers mm-hmm. to the kingdom of God and that they have shut the gates is like, mm-hmm. is the opposite of what they should be doing. Yeah. So I could see that riling them up. Yeah. The other thing I thought of was um, the tabernacle. Yep. I think I'm kind of hung up on Exodus because we just studied yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But like what a big deal it was um, for God to establish Israel as his people and to to set his home among them and to set his identity as I'll be, I'll be the God that goes with you. Mm-hmm. You will be the people that God goes with. And he establishes this relationship with them. And then we see at the end of Exodus, he builds the mm-hmm. tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And that is such a big deal because he had before that not had a permanent dwelling place, yeah. place among his people. And then, of course, that makes its way over these hundreds of years to the temple Mm -hmm. that like, if that was what was supposed to define the Israelites as a people was that God went with them and that, that identity Mm -hmm. of being people that God was with, that was all bound up in the temple. Mm -hmm. That was to turn them into a a nation of priests. Like that was the original goal, right? Was Mm -hmm. that then they would all turn Mm -hmm. and and minister to others, particularly Mm -hmm. to the Gentiles, to people who didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if it was like this deep grief. Because we know that under all all anger is sadness, right? Uh This deep grief of seeing like his home, because like we don't understand it, but the whole mystical trinity of like if God was dwelling among them in the tabernacle all those years, like Jesus in a way had been living there for a Mm -hmm. while. And he's like, this is my house. And you guys filled it with the opposite of welcome. You're supposed to be a kingdom of priests facing out to the, to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And you've shut the doors and just like started counting your money. Like this is Mm -hmm. where I used to live. Like Mm -hmm. I I spent all of history crossing Mm -hmm. the horizon to live among you. And this is what you did with my house. Like we have such a history together. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. And it's like such a, like a word too for like the power of righteous anger, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. like, it is okay to, and well justified and right to express anger, you know, towards something that isn't right, you know? And, um, that's awesome. Thanks for some of that thought, that Spider-Man yeah. quote. <laughs> well, I'm, I feel angry all the time. So I'm like, why this time? So um, yeah. that's good. Um, okay. Well, I want to shift our conversation or our minds to one of my favorite topics. I think when it comes to this is the church. Um, mm-hmm. So our place of worship now. And I've been thinking in light of just today um, and what's going on is what is the intention of the church Um, and not Mm. like the brick and mortar building, but like the body of Christ and what is the church meant to be? And we know the sacrificial system has been abolished through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but people still gather, right, to learn and to worship and to serve one another in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the church is both for those who are believers and who proclaim his name and also for those who are seeking and who are searching and are asking questions. It's for everyone. Um, it's a place of breaking bread, of prayer, of worship, reverence. Uh, it's not a building. It's a people. Um, it's a gathering of people. Mm-hmm. Wait, can I just say something? Sure. For our listeners who don't know, because I feel like this lends a certain perspective to when you talk about the church For the listeners who don't know, Lindsay is a pastor 
and she works at a church. Like that's your full-time job. Mm -hmm. She works with middle schoolers and high schoolers primarily, but she also preaches and does Mm -hmm. funerals and all those other type of pastoral responsibilities. So like, I feel like it always lends a certain weight to it when you talk about the church, because like you're, you're a person who actually has, can affect change from a higher level in the church. So when you talk about like, what do we need to do? You're not just talking as a congregant. Yes. You're talking as someone who makes the, you make these decisions. Like you're part of this vision team where like you're, you're steering, like you're part of the rudder of your church and, and through your church, because it's a pretty big church. Yeah. The, the church at large. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Well, that's good. That's good context. Um, and I think, and I wonder if you would say the same, but we just as the church are at a pivotal point in the history of the church. Um, like yes, we as Christians. I would agree. And I feel like God is telling us, what do you care about? <laughs> you, the church, my people, what do you care about? And I feel him saying kind of to what you just said about like the gatekeepers, like, are you going to be, you're the gatekeepers to the kingdom, um, right? Is that the context of how you said it? It's like, who are you, are you keeping people out? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I was talking about the chief priests, but I guess under, yeah, under how would Jesus's you say that? Yeah. kingdom, we're all supposed to be priests. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, so he's saying like, what do you care about? Uh, what, are you, what are you doing? <laughs> and I feel these questions from my lens is God's like, do you care about attendance? <laughs> do you care mm. about people in your seats? Well, there's a massive pandemic that's going to keep people <laughs> in their homes. Mm. Do you care about money and profit? This pandemic is going to force people out of their jobs, and it's going to change the face of tithing as you know mm. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel God saying, do you care about executing a perfectly programmed Sunday morning production? Well, no one's going to be in your buildings to see that. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like he's saying, where will you be, church, in the conversation about racial injustice and reconciliation that we've seen in 2020? Will you care about semantics and verbiage more than you do about justice? Will you hesitate on joining the fight for justice because you're worried about how it sounds? Mm. Will you abandon the call and command to love and serve for the sake of being right? And will you use tactics to deceive people? Will you tie yourselves to a political party instead of to a biblical truth? What do you yeah. care about? Like, yeah. Is it justice? Is it love? Is it serving the least of these? Is it compassion? Mm-hmm. What will you worship? And I don't have the authority or discernment to say that God is cleansing the temple now, but I do think it's worth pausing and paying attention to. It's yeah. worth noting. Um, and I think like, especially the conversation of racial reconciliation in particular, like during the season. Um, and I think like both you and I have held that pretty heavy in our hearts um, yeah. as we've kind of um, had conversations and and learned and unlearned. And um, I think the church as a whole has held a really complicated history in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been really quiet. Uh, we've been afraid. We've denied racism outright. Um, we've wasted time debating social justice versus gospel issue all while losing sight and sound to the crying out of our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And I want to make I, like a quick plug to this really great resource I read, this book called The Color of Compromise. Um, yes. Did you read that book? No, it's on my I'm, – I'm such a nerd. I use the library mm-hmm. still, so I'm on hold at the library with it. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you and several of my friends yeah. – 
either have read it or are reading it mm-hmm. and really enjoying mm-hmm. it. Well, enjoying in the way that you enjoy a book that like shatters oh my you gosh. to pieces. It was so hard. I did. Um, I don't usually do audiobooks, but I did audiobook for this one, and it was. I just like would listen to it in my home. And it was haunting. I just like that would be the word I would describe it. And but I think it's essential. It's a history that's essential to learn. Um, so I would recommend that to all of our listeners. This is the color of compromise. Um, it's in our um, it's oh in yeah our Yep, yep. So I just keep thinking, and maybe just like you know, just a statement here. But I just think that racial reconciliation is something that Jesus would have turned some tables over for. Mm. Um, that Jews, Gentiles had equal access, black, white have equal access, men, women, equal access, and ra- ra- racial reconciliation is the work of the church. Um, so I just was like trying to think of like, yeah, Jesus would have turned some tables over for that. So what do you think, um, let's move to discussion questions um, and kind of going off. No, I, sorry, I don't want to skip over what you just said because I think it's really important. Okay. Oh, are you going to ask? It looks ask, like you're going to yeah, ask yeah, yeah. about that. Okay, well, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well. I got riled up. No, <laughs> go, go <ahead. laughs> let's keep it the riled up. Um, well, what do you think is like the work of the church, I guess, particularly when it comes to the conversation about racial reconciliation and just kind of like where we are right now? <sighs> Well, I thought it was really fascinating the way that you set that up, that like, Mm. this is such a unique time, I can imagine, to be in leadership at a church, but to to just be someone who does church. Mm. That like so much that has sort of just run in the background, Mm -hmm. it's easy for me to say because I don't work at a church, it's just like you press play and it's just like the way that things go without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So much of that has been taken off the table Mm -hmm. and we're like, oh. Okay, so all that's gone. Mm-hmm. And it, at the same time, so much has been thrown onto the table. That's like, I think maybe if I'm being honest, a lot of us didn't have the bandwidth or the attention or we just didn't look at before. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of us were aware that racial con- reconciliation, like it's always been an important issue yeah. for me and for lots of people, but it was, it was to the side of church. It was like on the side mm. and like, we were all vaguely aware, especially around like Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Mm-hmm. And we talk about, you know, letter from a Birmingham jail. And is people are, I feel like are always sharing that quote when he talks about um, the white moderate yes. standing behind mm-hmm. the, the protection of stained glass windows. Um, and like there's always conversations around that. But it was almost like, yes, this is important. But then we had all this other regularly scheduled programming going on mm-hmm. that it was like we only had like a percentage of our battery to give towards that conversation. And now, like you said, it's really fascinating. It's almost got like, God was like, Oh, Oh, is that the priority? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's all gone. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Good news for you. You don't have to worry about any of that, (laughs) but you know, what is still an issue. You know, it's still on the table. Weirdly enough. Yeah. Uh, racial injustice. Yes. What do you think about that now that you have your full battery to attend Mm. to this? So it's been really fascinating to, um, watch that go down and participate Mm -hmm. as someone who goes to church and as someone who I don't consider myself a white person. Mm, And it's been also such a strange situation being an Asian person Mm -hmm. during this coronavirus that in such a very small way, me and my Asian friends or family have experienced, I would say, and I know there's not a spectrum on this, like have experienced mild, if I can use that Mm -hmm. word, racism in the face Mm -hmm. of this quote unquote, it's been called an Asian 
flu, yes. which isn't fair. But yes. um, so to see that, to experience that even on the slightest level, mm-hmm. and then to turn our attention to what's been going on, um, it's been such a eye-opening and heartbreaking and at the same time, like strangely rejuvenating experience. So to get back to your question, do, do I think this is the work of the church? I think there's people that would argue and say like, no, that's politics yes. and this is church and church and state should be separate yes. and let's not get it twisted. But I think when we're talking about justice mm-hmm. and equality, mm-hmm. what could be more the work of the church? Mm-hmm. What could be more the work of Jesus? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's maybe what he was so riled up about was saying, like, why would you guys not make Gentile access to the Gentile courts your highest priority? Yes. Like, why are you guys even giving time to this dove selling program that you started? <laughs> program. <laughs> when the Gentiles can't get, yes. the Gentiles aren't coming in here. Mm-hmm. Why are you guys so concerned with money changing? Mm-hmm. The Gentiles aren't coming into the Gentile court. When they get here, they can't get their money changed. Or you give them such an exorbitant interest rate that they turn around and they leave. Like, mm-hmm. that should be your priority. What the heck's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that justice and equality couldn't be more the work of the church. Yeah. And I, an active justice, yes. not just acknowledging that everyone is equal in God's kingdom. Sure. I'm sure that, well, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I would assume that the Sanhedrin gave lip service to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, we are all God's children, even as they turn their attention away mm-hmm. from their job mm-hmm. to serve the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say that. Yeah. No, that's good. And, you know, I think it's easy, and I can say this from my perspective, when you're doing the, when you think you're doing the work of God and you actually end up doing the work of man because you're like, um, or it's like it turns out to be a different, you may have the right motivation, but it turns out to be a different product than you think, you know, because you're like, I have this, and I'm from my perspective of like, I have these programs that are great. I want people to be in small groups. But if you focus so much on that, you miss the the point of what you're doing and why you're doing. It's you want people to grow, you know, and you want people to have, be people of fruit, right? And you want people to be people mm-hmm. of justice. And so, I find that to be such a tension of the church. It's like we're so we cling so much to like what we do, if that makes sense, and like our programs, and maybe for good, but we just like we elevate that, you know, instead of like no, no, no. Remember why we're doing this, you know. Remember why, yeah. Um, is we want to be the kingdom and we want to be um, salt and light, you know? And so anyway, I could go on about that. It's like such a passion point for me. Obviously, it's like my life's calling. And um, I feel like, too, we the church can feel like we will talk about it for a week or two. Mm, It's a sermon point. And then we're going to go back to a regularly scheduled program. You know what I mean? And um, regularly Mm -hmm. scheduled, um, you know, who we are and, but it's like, what if it's so so much more than that, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, it's good. Um, Okay. The second discussion question, I feel like we've been talking about this, but um, you know, the reaction that you have when you hear about Jesus turning over tables, I feel like we've touched on that. Um, Just mine was like, 
Yes, anger. <laughs> Points <laughs> for anger. So, um, yeah, and I think mine was similar in that mm-hmm. through therapy, yes. we have both learned that uh, psychologists agree that under all anger mm-hmm. is grief and sadness. And I think I'm like, yes, grief and sadness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's good. I loved like, I think it was a big deal when I realized that grief is my primary emotion, anger is my secondary emotion. And mm. I was like, wow, I'm actually grieving all the time, you know, that I'm feeling this. Mm-hmm. Um, so good job, Jesus. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, well, let's move to our time of mindfulness. So today we're going to practice contemplative prayer, which is a practice with just being in the presence of God without words. Um, It's just being alert to being with God, um, which may seem weird at first and um, may take some practice, but hopefully this will create a discipline of just sitting together with the Lord. No agenda, no words, just enjoying one another's presence. But if you have an active mind like me, you may be thinking that this is impossible. <laughs> um, but I would encourage you to um, to try it and to give yourself grace and to keep coming back to this stillness with the Lord. So settle in. Get comfortable wherever you are. If you are commuting or homeschooling your kids, all grace here. Just give yourself the time and the space that you need. So take a few deep breaths to acknowledge the presence of God, say out loud or silently in your soul, here I am, I am with you. So we're going to leave, we're going to keep this episode running for 10 minutes of silence. So just sit and be in the moment as best as you can. There is no striving. There's nothing to achieve. Just being with the Lord and listening. Leave his presence gently when you sense that you must go.
Thanks for joining us today. If you're looking for show notes to follow up on any references we may have shared, you can find those in the episode description or by going to our website at www.thepausepodcast.com, where you can also find links to our social media, along with a handy guide to subscribing or leaving a review. Thanks for listening.